to another edition of Welcome to the Mad Max Minute, where there are no free rides in Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, one minute at a time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minute 71, which begins with Max and the others hearing someone shouting in the desert, and it ends with Anna Goena earnestly following a set of footprints. Joining us once again are the equally earnest Gary Roby and Victoria Cope from the Harry Potter Minute. Hello, hello. Hello there. So I, when I was prepping my notes, used the word earnest twice in rapid succession. And I was going to go off on this whole thing, pulling quotes from the play, The Importance of Being Earnest. (laughs) And then I realized that I was wasting my effort because what I should have done was used all of that when we were on Spider-Man Minute. Yep. Because Mary Jane is in a show called The Importance of Being Earnest that I was pulling all that stuff from. Well, now it's here for the record so everyone will know that you missed <laughs> that shot. Everyone can know of my intentions. <laughs> so as Max, Anna, and Tubba are walking along the desert, they have no tracks to speak of. They're walking up a dune and then from the distance, they hear a call. Hey, the call of the here. small child. <laughs> We'll see. I'm now, sorry. I, I just, it's what I felt when, when he came over that hill and it's just the shot of the dune. Like, it totally, totally makes me think of C-3PO. It really does. I never <laughs> saw that before. Uh, but now it's in my mind. Happy that I could oh uh, could could bring this to, to the table. You've opened my eyes. <laughs> so I was thinking about this whole thing because Max and the others, they're looking for someone. They're looking for this group that left. And so when you hear someone crying out in the desert, it's probably not easy to figure out what direction that cry is coming from because mm. there's nothing around you. There's no directional bouncing involved. Yeah, that echo travels for miles. Yeah, it could come from anywhere. Mm-hmm. I really like how the group hear the noise, stop and wait for it to come back again so that they can make a fresh judgment on where it's coming from. And they do that a couple of times. Yeah, they're echolocating. Then, yeah, they are. So Anna and Max are like facing off in one direction. And Tubba, the tracker, is the only one who realizes it's coming from behind them. Yep. And that is where he proves his worth as a tracker. There you go. Mm-hmm. Vindicated. <laughs> he had greatness thrust upon him. Yes. So as they turn around, we get to see that Eddie, still holding on to his teddy bear backpack stick thing, and probably a water skin in his other hand, is running and stumbling and <laughs> doing his best a job he can to catch up to the others. Running in sand dunes like this is very difficult. <laughs> yeah, it's exhausting just watching them do this. Yup trudging along mm-hmm. yeah interesting thing about the storybook this scene of eddie catching up to the others is not included in the storybook because this whole trek this whole week of content is covered in 
two pages, which this storybook, it's 75% color photo. So there's really not that much story to There's probably a lot more in the novelization. But according to the storybook, they just start out Max, Tubba, and Eddie. There's no run to catch up scene. But as we'll see later on in today's minute, there's something else in the storybook that is glaringly missing from this movie. Oh. But that will come in good time. Before we get on to all of that, and even before we get to the end of this shot, just want to go over real quick. Eddie is played by Shane Tickner. His top four is Mad Max Beyond Thunderdome, Home and Away in 1991, The Perfectionist in 1987, and Princess Kate in 1988. Nice rhyming there. Hmm. His top four are his only four because he's in the same boat as James Wingrove. He just kind of showed up for a little bit at the tail end of the 80s, early 90s, and then disappeared. Now, it's interesting to note that not only did Eddie get an acting credit for Beyond Thunderdome, he also got a stunt credit for this movie. Oh, For falling down the for dune. That f- yes! For falling down the dune, for probably crawling over things. <laughs> riding on Mel Gibson's shoulders. Aww. I just like that they had this tiny child actor and he got to be included on the stunt team in the end credits. That's adorable. Yeah. Now, I mentioned the whole Facebook stalking thing with James the other day. Oh boy. And I actually did find Shane Tickner on Facebook. And I did reach out to him on Facebook because when we talked to Adam Skoogle, who played Finn McCoo, Adam said, find Shane. Nice. Because Shane went everywhere. So I reached out to him on the internet. He doesn't really live in a place that has reliable internet, so he's not going to be able to do an interview with us. But I sent him a couple of questions. That's cool. And this is where I would insert, oh, hey, I have answers. If, you know, I get the answers before September rolls around. Oh, I really hope you do. I really hope you do. So that will be included in the final edit. Those answers will include what he's doing nowadays because I think he's just a firefighter. Aw, Which I say, just a firefighter. That's awesome. Yeah, that's Firefighters are awesome. They're like, they're cop level heroics without any of the cop level baggage. Yeah, exactly. And if Max has taught us anything, cop level baggage is through the roof. Yeah. (laughs) This entire series is cop level baggage. Yeah. I guessed that he was a firefighter because he has a picture of a shirt on his Facebook page. It says, find them hot, leave them wet. And it's a picture <laughs> of a firefighter. loud. Okay. Uh, oh, this he little only, kid. He, he only gets away with that because he is an Australian fireman. Yeah. <laughs> and that is just... Okay, mm-hmm. fine. <laughs> right. It makes, if you it do makes a Google sense. image search for Shane Tickner, there's a picture of him, his wife, and his kid at like a car show that some newspaper took. Nice. Yeah, he's he's out there doing good stuff, I bet. Hey, everyone. It's Rick in the editing booth. I know it's been a while since I last had to interject like this, but as I'm editing this episode, it is August, and I have yet to hear back from Shane Tickner at all. So we're still without answers to any of those questions that I asked him. I hate to be the bearer of bad news, a real wet blanket on the situation, but you know, hey, that's life in the big city. So enjoy the rest of the episode. Coming back into the minute, we're still watching Eddie run and stumble over these dunes. And Max, in what I can only assume is an 80-yard line, he says to the others, he holds his own, okay? Mm-hmm. And then they turn and continue walking. Mm-hmm, sure. 
I love this cut that's about to happen here. (laughs) It is adorable. So we cut from this shot of them walking away, and then we cut to a shot looking over the top of a dune, and you see the group approaching, and you can see Eddie's teddy bear stick thing. And you think, oh, (laughs) oh, here comes Eddie. He's walking up over the dune. And then it's revealed that Eddie is actually just riding on Max's shoulders. (laughs) He holds his own, but I'll hold him. Yep. <laughs> like he holds his own teddy bear. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's cute. It's cute. I love cuts like this. There's just something like really playful in the edit, you know, like just the what it, I don't know if this counts as dramatic irony or whatever, but like <laughs> it delights me. Yeah, it's a fun joke without going into the goofy realm. Yeah. Exactly. A touch of humor without being just just too much. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> This movie does both. It has these touches of humor that are well-placed, well-written, well-executed. And then there are some other moments that go into the goofy. Mm -hmm. This represents how this movie is lighter fare than the other movies. But it's also a more subtle gag. Yeah. Like we, oh my God, when we get back to Underworld, there's going to be some things that are just groan-inducingly goofy. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this, not so much. Yeah, I like I like the subtlety of this one. Yeah. Plus, it also highlights Max's soft spot for kids. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Max is like walking across the desert, pretending he's so hard and tough, and ooh, I'm wearing all black and leather, and... And he's carrying a kid on his shoulders. It's great. Yeah, it's all an act. He's a big old softy. He is risking his life to save a couple of kids. And if that's not enough, he's carrying another kid on his shoulders. Mm -hmm. It's great. (laughs) Post-apocalyptic dad. Once we get the funny shot of Max carrying Eddie and the others walking, we get a lovely sun going down shot to hammer home the fact that they were walking All day and into the night. Yep. This has not been a quick process for them. No. I like this shot of their silhouettes against the sunset, but it's also very Hakuna Matata. (laughs) (laughs) It is. I really, I actually do really like this image. I might, I, I would use this for like a desktop background or something. Oh, absolutely. It's just got a nice color balance to it. Anytime they do one of these silhouetted yeah. horizon shots. Cool kind of things you can do in a desert. Absolutely. It it fascinates me some of the like camera, the camera work and cinematography in these movies because sometimes you're in like really dingy kind of scrunched together places like the Thunderdome itself or like Underworld and then like you get a shot like this where it's just like, oh, like this is like masterful. Yeah, this is a really shot. Yeah. This is Dean Semler, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Dean Semler, did he do all three movies so far? Did he do number one or did he do just number two and number three? I think he only did two and three. Okay. Mm. Yeah, the cinematographer, Dean Semler, he is really fantastic and you can see similar great work in Road Warrior in the cinematography there as well. Yeah, that's awesome. I really like this shot a lot. So the fact that this search takes place over two days is reflected in the storybook. And I mentioned something being dropped from the movie that was included in the book. Yeah. And that thing takes place on day two of the journey. And it actually has to do with this last shot of the minute. Oh. And I feel like we're getting to the end of the minute rather quickly, but... 
honestly, it was nothing but walking up to this point, and now we're actually getting to interesting things. The last shot that we see is Max and the others walking, and they find a fairly fresh set of tracks, and Anna and Tubba are rushing ahead of Max. It's only about a second of this minute, and it is another 17 seconds of Friday's minute. So I'm stealing from Peter to Paul at this point. Mm. So this shot of them running directly correlates to a section of the storybook where it says on the following day anna found the forked stick from gecko's sonic equipment she ran ahead of the others calling gecko gecko and not far ahead was gecko crawling alone through the sand blinded by the desert sun he was searching sightlessly for his stick anna grabbed him the sonic gasped gecko i've lost the sonic anna handed him his stick and gave him some water we heard in this movie, very specifically, that Gecko went with Savannah and the others. It was one of the things that Anna said as she was rousing Max. There was a bit of conversation that we missed back before they left. They were talking about how they've all gone and that they're probably going at a hunter's pace. I think Slake puts it that way. And Anna makes a comment about how Gecko, with his broken leg, will slow them down. And Slake disagrees and he refers to a what does he call it he calls it the stand or fall principle of hunter law it's brought up that if gecko cannot keep up with the pace he will be left behind it's like an episode of top gear that's intense <laughs> so in the storybook as they walk along they find gecko who is obviously not having a easy time of traversing the desert with a broken leg oh they left him behind. That breaks yeah. my heart. And they not only left him behind, but he was probably severely dehydrated, blinded by the sun. He's down on the ground like Velma from Scooby-Doo trying to find his sonic staff, whatever they call the forked stick with the record on it. But it's completely omitted from the movie. Gecko is never mentioned again as a person. Somewhere along the way, they find his stick and incorporate that into the story. But as an individual that they found... He's not mentioned. It's a huge omission from the movie, and I don't know why they did that. That is really, really sad because the assumption is that either he fell down into the sand pit first and is already lost by the time we join them, or he fell behind due to his injury and was covered up by sand because of the windstorm. Yeah. Or he was separated from them due to his injury and wandered off in a different direction. All three of those scenarios, he's dead. It's really terrible. The kicker about this gecko situation, and I will point this out on Friday, there are shots in the movie that clearly show that they at one point shot the scene of them finding Gecko and bringing him along with them. Oh. Because as the storybook continues, when Max and the others caught up, they made a leader for Gecko out of speed and furs. Then they kept on walking, dragging Gecko behind them. There are going to be shots and angles on Friday that show that they are dragging a leader or a litter or however you pronounce it. Yeah, I was going to say, when you said leader, did you mean litter? Yeah. Probably. Okay. It's spelled exactly like litter. So what are you going to do? I can barely speak as is, so... <laughs> but like darkness of losing like two different kids like back to back like pretty. Yeah, that could be it. 
What's coming in the next couple of minutes is really, really upsetting. It is. And it's the grim reality of exactly, literally exactly what Max warned them about. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Julie, I see you flipping through the book. I was just reviewing it real quick to see if it gave us any more details about meeting up with Gecko that the storybook simplified. And it really doesn't. It uses more words to tell the same thing, but none of those details really change anything or give us an additional insight. Now, I think it was from the novelization that you read that his leg was not only broken, but maybe infected? Yes, his leg is infected. The novelization makes note at a couple of points that Anna is changing his bandages Mm -hmm. in order to keep his infection clean. His leg isn't broken. He fell down and hurt his leg. And that's really all that is described, but it had to be some kind of flesh wound Mm. because it's infected. Yeah. What's it called when the bone goes through the Mm. skin? Is that a compound Mm -hmm. fracture? fracture. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that's what it's called. Mm -hmm. So that's- The gross ones. That's what it's called. It's called the gross ones. You got a gross one and uh, now he's infected. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And he probably had some sort of Mm -mm. puncture wound. Mm -mm. Uh, That sounds on it like- Especially with the conditions that they're living in, like that sounds like something that's like really unlikely to come back from. Yeah, and I've been worried about Gecko for a while because even a simple infection, just from a scratch, could kill you if you don't have medicine. So he's he's toast anyways. Aw, poor Gecko. <laughs> yeah. Being ill is bad. Being injured is worse. Being dehydrated is a step beyond that. And once you bring in the fact that he was blinded, you might as well just start putting nails in that coffin. So I like the idea that they excluded it from the movie because we are going to have another instance of child death coming up next week. Oh, it's it's so it's so intense. Yeah. And also they omitted the Anna Goanna gecko relationship from the movie. They are an item. They are boyfriend and girlfriend. Oh, and, I and think... that's why Anna is so enthusiastic about going out there is yeah. because she's going after gecko. Gecko was her whole motivation to go out there. And she says in the text of the movie, she's going out to salvage for her friends, but she's going out specifically for one person. And uh, if I had to make the call, Mm. I could probably chalk up this omission to the ratings board. If they included Gecko's death and Finn's death, Mm. it might have pushed them into the R rating because of you know, child death and whatnot. And I think the studio wanted a PG-13 movie. Yeah, I can see that. I mean, blame Warner Brothers. That's what I say. Well, why not? (laughs) In the current environment, why not? Exactly. And Gecko's death is a little bit more... Well, actually, in the novelization, does he actually die? Yeah. Okay. I haven't gotten that far yet. (laughs) In the storybook, he dies. Yeah. And they have a full half-page photo of Gecko lying there on the ground, lit by the distant lights of Barter Town, (gasps) with his head in Anna's lap and Max next to her. Oh, my gosh. They're letting him get a look at what he believes is Tomorrow Morrowland before he slips away. That's rough. Yeah, we get to talk about that. Wow, you should post that photo on the Facebook group, on Uh, the listeners group. I will when we eventually talk about it. We will get to talk about it, I want to say, next week 
when we've got the Carlisles as our guests. Ooh. Okay. Yeah, that'll be a fun one. Because mm-hmm. it is quite sad. It is. <laughs> it's heartbreaking. They just, I, fa- I heard that they just watched that movie for the first time too, and you gave them next week. Like, oh, it's yeah. rough. Oh, I didn't know it was the first time for them. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we gave them next week because of the sand pit, like the sand pit. That's fair. Bride. That's ab- yeah, that yes. totally makes but sense. But it right. also just happens to be the minute that includes, you know, oh, child death. Oh, mm-hmm. hardcore. Right? <laughs> As he laughs, I know. I'm oh. so excited to listen to that episode. No, Maniacal laugh. Maniacal I- laugh. I could say that I don't do these things on purpose, but that's fair. I do these things on purpose. (laughs) So on that, I guess, sad note, we're going to put a pin in it. This is a rather short minute because admittedly, it's a lot of walking in the desert and not much else. And besides, we don't want to dip too much into Friday's minute. So come back on Friday because we are finally going to catch up with Savannah's group. But as we will discover, they seem to have been caught up in one of the dangers of the fire swamp. So on that delightful reference to a much cheerier movie, we'll see you next time. The Mad Max Minute Podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham. The Mad Max franchise was created by George Miller and Byron Kennedy, is presented by Kennedy Miller Mitchell Productions, and distributed by Warner Brothers. Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com. And our outro music is We Don't Need Another Hero by MilitiaVox of MilitiaVox.com. Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com. You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute, like us on Facebook by searching for Mad Max Minute, and join our Facebook listener group, Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone. If you'd like to support the podcast, visit MadMaxMinute.com where you can check out our Tee Public storefront by clicking the store link join our patreon by clicking the support link or make a one-time donation by clicking the donate link thank you for joining us for minute 71 of beyond thunderdome we'll see you next time Everybody say-